BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, welcome to the Blonde Files podcast. I'm your host, Arielle Laurie, and I'm here to talk all things wellness. From how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and everything in between, no topic is off limits. I know there is so much information out there, so I'm here to help you navigate it all and live your best life. Thanks for listening. Let's get into it. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today, I have a guest who a lot of people have requested, who I've been Instagram friends with for a while. And you guys, she brought it. I am talking about Melinda Farina, aka The Beauty Broker. And as expected, we had a lot to talk about. In fact, we spoke for like two hours and we could have kept going. She is just fascinating and so knowledgeable about all things aesthetics. This episode is actually going to be a two-parter, so you'll get the full interview today, and then in two days, you'll get part two, which is the Q&A answering all of your questions, and we talk about like skincare and surgical solutions, and we just get into specifics in part two. So about Melinda, she founded Integrated Aesthetics Consulting and Beauty Brokers Incorporated in 2004. She has a solid foundation and 28 years of extensive in-office, behind-the-scenes experience, licenses, and numerous certifications in dentistry and practice management consulting. Her educational background, including a master's from Columbia in industrial and organizational psychology, makes her a unique, multifaceted commodity to the medical and dental aesthetics industries. From day one, she has worked for and trained with world-renowned surgeons and esteemed industry pioneers to ensure her clients get the absolute best expertise and result for their desired outcome. This is a fascinating episode, so I hope you guys enjoy. Okay, so I am here with Melinda, the beauty broker, my Instagram BFF. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, guys. I know we finally pulled it together for all of you. (laughs) We've been talking about this for a while. I can't even remember like how we got connected on Instagram, maybe through Ben or something like... Probably Ben, yeah. Yeah. But we've been talking about doing this for a while. Obviously, things have been kind of crazy lately, but the people are demanding it. They all want to hear from you. So, Gosh, I mean, I feel like if they hear from me enough, I get sick of hearing myself talk sometimes. <laughs> I feel the same way too. I'm like, God, if people just like just know every single thing about me. Like I'm such an oversharer. I feel like people would get sick of it, but same. Yes. (laughs) So why don't we start by having you tell the listeners what exactly it is that you do? Okay. Good question. Because I get that question often. You would think they would know already. So, um, so beauty broker, I'm a plastic surgery consultant, patient safety advocate, educator, And we are basically a consultancy. So people come to us when they are looking for the best surgeon selection, the best, safest results, um, when they're confused about what they need aesthetically. We work with plastic surgeons. We work with all dermatologists. We work with cosmetic dentists, hair replacement specialists. um, And it's a worldwide, it's a global consultancy. How long have you been in business? So I've been in the industry since I was 13 years old. And um, yes, yes, I started working with friends of the family who were top surgeons when I was 13, just filing charts at an office and uh, started my consultancy at 21. And um, and now I'm in my 40s. So I've been in the industry altogether for about 28 years. 
Yeah. So I wanted to ask you how exactly you got into the field, because I know that you've talked about before being in dentistry in the beginning. So how did you kind of make that transition? Yeah. So good friends of our family, we had plastic surgeons and cosmetic dentists who were close with my mom and my dad. And when I was young enough, and I always had wanted to be a dental hygienist, it was like a dream of mine. (laughs) Such a weirdo. Um, So so I begged my mother to get me a job at one of our um, close friends of the family who was a cosmetic dentist at his office. I was like, please, I just want to be in the office. I was just obsessed with cosmetic dentistry when I was younger. And like, if I get experience in now, and this is like how I was thinking at 13 years old, like not your normal 13 year old. Like if I get experience now, I'll be the best hygienist ever. By the time I'm, you know, in out of hygiene school, I was like planning on just zipping through hygiene school and starting super early. So I started working in a dental office when I was 13. Um, and I slowly worked my way, you know, from the mailroom up. Um, I worked front desk and then I kind of worked my way into the back sterilization chair side, radiology, taking all of the x-rays at the office. The assistants were training me, then trained me on all of the procedures in dentistry. And I loved it. So I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, But every single day we were working in an office that was very familiar with also plastic surgery and all aesthetic procedures as well, because we would see those clients come in. So I was always having conversations with clients about different procedures they had, had done and you know, looking at their um, health histories, seeing what surgeons they went to. So I already was very familiar with the plastic surgeons, you know, the who's who in plastic surgery from a very, very young age. When I went to college, I went to NYU for hygiene school, and I decided that I wanted to work with Larry Rosenthal. There was the Rosenthal Institute of Aesthetic Dentistry. I went to a headhunter, and um, I didn't even give her a chance to find an office for me. I go, this is the office I want to be in. And she's like, well, I don't even know if he's hiring. I'm like, I don't care. Put me in an interview. I will get a job there. So she's like, okay. <laughs> so... I ended up going into Larry's office. I sat in a two-hour interview with him. And by the time I was done, he had already hired me for an assistant position at his office. And I was just like over the moon. I'm like, oh my God, I'm working with the number one cosmetic dentist in the world. You know, this is exactly what I wanted. He really paved the way for me in aesthetic dentistry and then, you know, opened up every door for me with every plastic surgeon in New York City. Uh, he was a, a very important part of of who I am now and of um, shaping my career. You know, that was going to be my future that was that turned into Beauty Brokers Inc. today. So I have a lot to thank him for. But Larry, I worked with for um, five years at that office. And then by the time I was done, I said, you know, I think I really want to be a consultant. Can you make some introductions for me? And he did, you know, he introduced me to all of the top surgeons that I needed to know. And, you know, I went that first week to go meet a lot of these plastic surgeons, decided that I was going to be an independent consultant, (laughs) went in, told them that, you know, I want to help them with their practices and help refer clients to them and learn more about plastic surgery. So they opened their doors to me and I learned from, from some of the best surgeons in the industry, um, some of the authorities in our industry, the key opinion leaders of our industry. And, you know, from there forward, they all opened doors for me, introduced me to different surgeons in different states. And I started traveling and going to meet with different surgeons, understanding what their procedures were, so on and so forth. And here I am. You have my dream job, just saying. (laughs) (laughs) I never knew what it was going to be because there were not a lot of people doing this. There were practice management consultants, which was initially what I thought I wanted to do. I didn't know it was going to turn into a referral, you know, consultancy, a referral consultancy. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it was going to turn into this. And there was one woman, you know, back in the day who was doing something similar. And she was also doing a lot of marketing consulting and also writing books, you know, publishing books for doctors. So she was doing something a little bit similar, but uh, I think what I started is unique. It's more innovative in our industry. And, um, and there's not a lot of consultants out there. 
Yeah, it's so needed. And even when I posted on my stories last night that you were coming on, a lot of people who follow me already knew who you were, but there were also people who were like, oh my God, I didn't know that this existed. This is amazing. How how did I not know this? And I feel like especially now, well, you can tell me like how it's changed with social media, but it must just be so overwhelming and so difficult to navigate for a lot of people who don't know anything about the industry and don't know anything about doctors. And I know that a lot of doctors that you work with aren't even on social media. And it must just feel like, you know, where do I start? For me, I feel like I got really lucky (laughs) with going to Ben, um, but it could have gone the other way. You know, I have definitely fallen for some doctors marketing on (laughs) Instagram, whether that be for dentistry, which you and I have talked about, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I'm just fixing now finally, um, and for like fillers and stuff like that. So so, yeah. so overwhelming. And there are so many marketing tricks and ploys out there. So it's so important to have somebody so knowledgeable help guide us in, through this process. So you guys know I'm back in school and it has been intense. I am literally on my computer from like 7 a.m. until 8 p.m. with very few breaks in between. And those between moments usually involve my phone. So I know I'm not alone here. We are all inundated with technology and harmful light all day long. My absolute saving grace has been my blue blocks, blue light blocking glasses. You guys, I cannot even tell you the difference that I feel when I wear them and when I don't. If you want to hear the science behind this, make sure you go back and listen to episode 47. But here's the condensed version. So blue light damages our eyes and leads to digital eye strain. Symptoms of this can be blurred vision, headaches, dry or watery eyes. And for some, it can even be heightened anxiety. That's me depression, and low energy. So Blue Blocks was created to fix these problems and block out the light with high-quality, evidence-backed lenses. Unlike other blue light blocking glasses, these are backed by the latest science and made under optics laboratory conditions in Australia. And this is important because a lot of these other trendy companies are just mass-producing glasses with really no understanding of how the science actually works. Blue Blocks has lenses for daytime and nighttime and color therapy exactly in line with the suggestions of peer-reviewed academic literature. They have over 20 styles and they come in prescription, non-prescription, and reader. And you can also have almost any pair of your own glasses made into custom blue blockers. They just add blue light blocking lenses to your existing frames so you have peace of mind knowing you're being protected while rocking your favorite pair. I cannot tell you how much of a difference this simple action has made in my life. And I've also gotten feedback from you guys saying that you bought the glasses and you're being more cognizant of light and that you feel amazing. So it's so nice to hear that. If you want to get your energy back, sleep better, and improve your overall quality of life, go to Blue Blocks today and get free worldwide shipping and 15% off with the code BLONDE. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X dot com with the code BLONDE, B-L-O-N-D-E for 15% off and make sure to tag us when you get a pair. Hey guys, I'm Maddie Orlando. And I'm Lauren Orlando. As you probably guessed, we're sisters. And we're also co-hosts of the podcast, The Sister Diary. Every week, we let our listeners into real life conversations like the ones that we have at home. We have an eight-year age gap, so we always have a different perspective on things, but that makes it pretty fun. We talk about navigating life, growing up on social media, and pretty much anything else that we find interesting. You can catch a new episode of The Sister Diary every Friday. So going back, I also decided, when I decided I didn't want to be a hygienist anymore, um, I switched over to Columbia University in organizational psychology because I felt like if I was going to be a consultant, psychology was a huge part of that. And understanding the psychology of the choices that people make for themselves, understanding the psychology of how, you know, the motives of businesses. And um, 
that plays a lot into what I do on a daily basis, understanding what motivates people to do these procedures, to seek out these procedures and what under, and what motivates the surgeons to try to sell the things that they do, to try to prey on vulnerable patients or market in a, in a very deceptive way. And you see a lot of that on social media. And it's really upsetting for me to see on a day-to-day basis because I, you know, talk to about 15 to 20 clients a day in consult and I hear the stories and I see the results and there are repeat offenders every single day that their names come up and I'm like, why are they doing this? You have to understand, I go to every single meeting, I sit on the panel lectures and before a surgeon gets up on stage and talks to a room full of thousands of surgeons, they have to disclose what companies are paying them to talk about these technologies or, you know, these um, materials, these, you know, Galderma, whether it's Allergan, whether it's InMode, whether, you know, it's uh, Cyton. So they have to talk about the companies that are paying them to talk about, you know, their product. And, mm-hmm. um, and you don't see that on social media. So the layman doesn't know like, okay, if this doctor's talking about this over and over and over again, they don't realize sometimes these companies are paying these doctors hundreds of thousands of dollars to do so. So, you know, whose best interests do they really have at heart? And that's tricky and it's deceptive. You, know, you have to understand that. You have to know that. And I feel like the insiders, we know it, you know, so oftentimes a doctor will post something and then like five surgeons will call me up. Like, did you see what this person posted? I'm like, this is such junk. And you know, it's so, it's so dangerous for the patient and it leaves so much scar tissue. Ugh, like they shouldn't be talking about this. So I, you know, on the back end, I'm getting all of this feedback from thousands of surgeons throughout the world, people calling me, people emailing me like, Hey, you know, you hear the unanimous take on what these doctors are experiencing in the OR you know, five doctors are saying they get good results and then a hundred other doctors are really getting poor results or they're finding a lot of scar tissue or they're finding a lot of complications or seromas or, you know, whatever it might be. I really listen to to what the what the popular vote is on a lot of procedures, technologies, and products. So I'm getting a lot of feedback and that's kind of where I draw a lot of my conclusions from. And that's a lot of like where my information is coming from that I post on my page. It's coming from all of these multiple sources that are feeding me with a lot of this information. And, you know, I really take into consideration what all of them tell me. And then I, I put that information out for everybody to see. Mm-hmm. And then in the same way that doctors aren't disclosing who's paying them on social media, um, they also don't have to disclose like their relationship with, say, like an influencer or a celebrity. So right. just because a doctor's posting a picture with a Kardashian doesn't mean that they did work on that Kardashian. I think that's uh, yeah. so important for people to know, too. Yeah, there's a big public lawsuit with me and a specific surgeon because he is just extremely um, unethical. And mm-hmm. you know, his biggest thing is working on very famous people. But yeah, you're not a germ. You're not a plastic surgeon. So, you know. Yeah, I've been to him. I fell uh-huh. for it years ago. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah, won't say any names. People, but... right. We won't say any names, but most people have been to him. And most yeah. people, if they talk poorly about him, get sued because, you know, they sign their life away um, with whatever Mm -hmm. contracts they're signing going into that practice. So that's also something, make sure you read the fine print before you sign a contract and have a doctor work on you because you don't know what you're signing yourself up for. And it could potentially be harmful for you if God forbid you go and speak poorly about that doctor because you had a bad experience. Right. Well, now that everybody is frightened. (laughs) (laughs) You work with the best of the best, trustworthy, very skilled doctors. So what is your process like? How do you vet these doctors and how do they become part of your referral? So usually it is a, so doctors don't pay me, FYI. We have a practice management consulting company. So if they choose to hire us as consultants, then they pay me. It's a monthly fee. Um, But that has nothing to do with the patient consulting company. I have multiple companies. So the two don't intertwine. When we're vetting surgeons for our referral network, it's a two-year process and it's a relationship building process. Uh, It takes multiple visits for me to go and observe surgeries. Uh, It takes hundreds of cases for me to look at that are 
basically the same case specifications and consistency across the board. So we look and take into consideration the same type of of patient complications or the same type of case specifications. And then whatever his technique, his or her technique is applied that I'm vetting them for, whether it's a facelift, whether it's, you know, breast lift, whether it's tummy tuck, it has to be a hundred cases plus that I'm reviewing. And we talk about each case in depth. Um, and then there's like a 500 question question now that I uh, that I have that I bring to the doctor and we go through all of these questions. We talk about their background and their education and their training. Um, we talk about, you know, what their goals are for the patient, what their philosophy is. We talk about their staff. We talk about systems and flow, pre-post healing. Uh, we talk about the medications that are used. We talk about follow-up. We talk about office protocols. I mean, from soup to nuts, I really want to make sure that this is a safe option for my client that I know if I refer someone over to the surgeon, they're going to be in the best, most capable hands. And that I know when I send specific cases to a surgeon, if it's a complicated case that they've done numerous amounts of these types of complications successfully, um, that's really important for me to see as well. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing, you said about 15 to 20 people a day per consult. So I'm sure you've seen everything. And I want to know, what are the biggest mistakes that we're making? What, what do you see people coming to you a lot that they need corrected or that they did and didn't go well? Right. Um, what should we not be doing? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. And, and I get this question a lot. A lot of people are choosing good surgeons, actually. You know, they're choosing good surgeons, but not good surgeons for that specific situation. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you're choosing a good surgeon, but you have to, you know, you can't. I'll use Dr. Romo, Dr. Thomas Romo in New York City said this line to me once, and I use it all the time. It's like, you know, if you want your nose to look like a boob, you go to the boob doctor. <laughs> so I, use, <laughs> I use that one a lot. And I just started laughing. I'm like, that's true. Um, so so funny. a lot of people, you know, will choose a surgeon that's excellent for tummy tuck, but go to that surgeon for their rhinoplasty, or they're going to choose the surgeon that, you know, does a facelift well, but really is not that great with platysmoplasty or fat transfer or eyes, you know, especially the under eye area. There's a, not a lot of guys that excel in that area. Chins are usually underdone. Uh, fat is usually overdone. So you, they have to look for specific things. You just, just because it's a quote unquote facelift doctor doesn't mean that they're great with every part of the face. So I really try to find what people's issues are and try to match them with the surgeon who excels in each specific area of the face. And that could take it from, you know, 200 facial plastic surgeons that I work with down to five, you know, five that really will deliver that result well and address those issues really competently. So, you know, it is a process of elimination and it is a matchmaking process. And I really take a lot into consideration when referring a patient to a surgeon, which is mostly in part why I don't just name drop, you know, irresponsibly on my page. I used to. And when I used to talk about the doctors on my page and when I used to tag doctors on the on the pre and post photos, People would just, of course, bypass me and go to the surgeon and then choose the wrong person and then come to me and start complaining. How dare you work with him? How could you put, you know, that's so irresponsible for you to put this surgeon. And I'm like, well, your case did not call for that surgeon's skills. You you chose the mm-hmm. wrong person. And this is why I do what I do. This is why I'm a consultant. Yeah. I actually really like that you do that. And I did get a lot of questions that were like, who's the best doctor for this? Who's the best doctor for that? And I should have told people like, we're just not going to do that. Um, It is so nuanced, like you're saying. And, you know, it also, that's your job. So why do your job for free? (laughs) Well, everyone expects me to do it for free. And I basically do. You know, it was interesting because I've changed the business model so many times. Every year we change the business model, every single year. Um, And people would complain. They're like, do doctors pay you? Oh my God, I can't trust you if doctors pay you. And I'm like, I'm sending this surgeon millions of dollars a year. But so Mm -hmm. what I did was I, I took a huge hit financially. And I'm like, you know what? Because I'm so sick of hearing people say, 
oh my God, do doctors pay you? I'm not going to let doctors pay me anymore. How about that? Just to prove a point because I'm so passionate about what I do and I want to, and trust is so important for me. So I'm like, if that's what it means to have people's trust, then I will take the hit financially. I don't care. You know, money, Mm -hmm. I I do well as it is. Um, But we did, we took a huge financial hit. I stopped taking membership fees from doctors because we used to charge a membership fee for them to be in our network. And there were some doctors who I would approach them like, I want to work with you. And they're like, well, I don't want to pay a membership fee. What was it? What was it going to do? Not work with the surgeon because he didn't want to pay a membership fee. You know, that that wouldn't have been honest either. So I was conflicted and I'm just like, you know, altogether, if the doctors don't want to pay, then the patients are going to pay a consultation fee and, um, and they're going to pay me for my time. So we charge like a lawyer, you know, people pay me for my time. Mm -hmm. That's very smart. So, okay. So let's get down to the procedures. (laughs) What, let's see where to start. There's so much to cover here. Um, what are the most requested procedures? I mean, what do people come to you seeking usually? Everything. I mean, I'm sitting here with Brittany right now. I mean, they come to us for everything. So, you know, usually when they write to us, there's a laundry list of concerns that they have. And we usually set aside either a half an hour or an hour to discuss their concerns, depending on how many concerns they have. We often receive many revision cases because I think when it gets to the point of finding, you know, a consultant or seeking the help and counsel of a consultant, a professional consultant in in this industry, people are kind of at their wits end and they're in a, a place of desperation because they've made so many wrong decisions for themselves. So now they end up, you know, at my door. And of course I let everybody in. You know, it's sad the things that I see. They, you know, people come to me, revision rhinoplasties galore. A lot of people make really, really poor mistakes and, and poor choices for themselves when it comes to rhinoplasty, uh, revision facelift all the time. People who are instant gratification seekers that do not want to go under the knife. So they have gone under multiple um, energy based procedures. They melt the fat in their face. They create so much scar tissue for themselves with these, you know, um, ultrasound therapies that are just, I mean, ruining people's faces. People who go and think that fillers are going to change their world and lift their faces. So they just fill and stack and stack and stack filler in their face. And now you have tons of filler embedded in the tissue and tons of edema in the face that is, is creating a lot of problems and stagnant lymph. We see a lot of really, you know, we just see a lot of really sad situations. And I'm like, shit, I wish they would have came to me before they did any of this. And we hear that a lot from our clients. They're like, I wish I would have found you before I made these mistakes. But there are big mistakes that are being made. And and people who just are impatient and want a quick fix. And the quick fixes sometimes are the worst fixes. And those are the ones that will, you know, create problems for many, many years to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it seems like we're kind of living in this age of instant gratification and everybody is comparing themselves to the next person on social media and people younger and younger are getting these procedures done because there are a lot of non-invasive options, right? Mm-hmm. Um Let's talk about some of the non-invasive stuff because a lot of my followers are probably like mid to late 20s, early to mid 30s. I know that they kind of range all over, but that seems to be the the biggest um, demographic. Yeah. So people are starting to experiment with things like lasers and fillers and Botox and all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. So what do you like? We'll start with that. So I like microcurrent, even though Ben and I, we we disagree (laughs) on that one. (laughs) Ben and I are very close, by the way, and we disagree on a lot of things. But (laughs) yeah, we'll get to that. (laughs) And I'm like, all right, Ben. He's like, okay, Melinda. I'm like, well, you know, you do you and I'll do me. (laughs) Um, I love him. That was so much, so much. He's like my brother. Um, So I do, I do like microcurrent. I've been using it. So, you know, for someone who's in their 40s, I feel like I look like I'm in my late 20s. Um, You do. Yeah. And I get that comment often. So, you know, I have sustained my aesthetic with, you know, bi-monthly facials, professional facials, bi-monthly professional microcurrent. And of course I use my new face at home. Does the new face do anything? 
I feel like it does a little something. You know, if you're consistent with it, it works. Good skincare, you know, getting on a really good regimen, SPF, retinol, absolute must-haves, really having quality products for yourself and being consistent with your skincare and and a really good skincare regimen. Diet. I I don't drink alcohol. I don't party. I don't do anything. Those days are over. I used to be like this big (laughs) New York City socialite. We were out until like five o'clock in the morning every day, hungover every day. No, it's that ruinous, right? <laughs> it it was aging me. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god! I look at pictures of myself before I got sober, and I'm like, wow, I looked, I looked like a bad forty. Probably. I mean, that's probably exaggerating, but I just looked so aged beyond my years. I know, and we all kind of go through this, you know, that time in our lives where we're just out crazy and irresponsible, mm-hmm. partying. Um, yeah, I went through it too. New York, New York was my playground. I'm moving out mm-hmm. to New York City now. I'm like, it's so boring here. I don't do anything. I'm in bed by like 8 p.m. <laughs> but I do. I, I lead a very healthy lifestyle. I don't drink alcohol. I exercise. I drink tons of water. I, I wake up every day and drink my um, vibrant greens. You know, so I think lifestyle has a lot to do with sustaining youth. I don't have children. Uh, I am not married, you know, so a lot of that helps too. <laughs> the stress, takes, you know, there's the stress levels are pretty, pretty low. I have my dog. The new, the new anti-aging secret. Don't get married. Don't, <laughs> don't have, have kids. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, so many of the women who come to me, they're like, right after I had my kids is when this all happened with their face. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's like a hormonal dysregulation kind of situation happening there too, right? Yeah, you. I know you did a podcast. I didn't listen to that one with a, a hormone specialist, right? An endocrinologist. Did you talk to somebody? Um, I've spoken to. Let's see. Yeah, I had one women's hormone doctor, and then I had one who she wasn't a doctor, but she was had multiple certifications. Yeah, really important part of it. So as of recently, I've really been working with tons of endocrinologists because I'm just like hormones play such a huge role in Mm -hmm. the aging face and the aging body and skin, especially skin on the body. We have a lot of women who come to us and they're like, the skin on my body is just so thin and crepey and it just looks so aged and old. And a lot of people have a lot of sun damage on their face and bodies, you know, which does, of course, enhance the aging process and, and accelerates that whole breaking down of the collagen in the skin. But the hormones hormones play a huge role in that as well. So, you know, really stay on top of that. And if you haven't seen an endocrinologist, it might be worth going and setting up an appointment for yourself to just check your levels, to just know for yourself. A lot of nutritional factors play a role in hormones as well. So I work, we've since hired a uh, world-renowned nutritionist, Paula Simpson. She's formulated so many nutraceuticals and she is just brilliant. She really focuses on gut health and how gut health affects hormonal health. So, you know, we have a huge focus in in our company, not just on plastic surgery and procedures, but with nutrition, lifestyle, and gut health. That plays a huge role in it. And and things change. You know, if you're on a really good regimen for yourself and you develop good habits for yourself, in one year, you will see a huge difference and things will start to get better for you. So I think that's helped, you know, my clients, it's helped me and it does make a difference. So that's a big part of it. So when you ask me things that, that I give the thumbs up to, I think lifestyle, creating good, healthy habits. I mean, but this is just common sense stuff. As far as things, procedures that are effective, again, facials, microcurrent, skincare, nutrition, um, microneedling, PRP, stem cell rejuvenation. So I really like microneedling with the PRP. I think that's a great procedure. I like the light radiofrequency microneedling applications like Vivace and Morpheus 8, I think are great. Ben likes Profound. I think Profound takes a really long time to see results. I do, I do think it works. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did Profound twice. What did you, so tell me about that. <laughs> How did you like it? <laughs> so, okay. So I did it the first time when I did my nose job and lip lift, which we will get to. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know you're not a fan. Um, <laughs> and I did that with Ben and I'll have to send you when we're done with this, I'll send you a before and after. Um, and maybe I'll post it on my Instagram too, because I have no shame, sure. <laughs> but I had so much fullness around my jaw. I pretty much had like no jaw definition and I had gone down 
the road of adding filler and it just made me look really masculine and then it migrated and then it went away and it was just not cute. So yeah, so I had a lot of fullness under my chin, around my jaw. Um, My whole face was just kind of heavy. Like that's the only way that I can describe it. I did kind of have filler face, um, but a lot of that had subsided. I just kind of had, yeah, it just kind of looked heavy. So Ben, he's, as you know, is a big proponent of profound. Right, Um, he works with them. (laughs) Yeah, he works with them and he's very open about that. But yeah, he loved it. And so I just figured, well, you know, if I'm going to be out, just do it. And it was crazy. I look at the before pictures. Well, no. Okay. So it was weird. The first time I never, I didn't really get that swollen. Um, Mm -hmm. I did, I was like black and blue from the litter, the little puncture wounds and all of that. And I was swollen, but not like the big giant moon face that you see that some people get. But, um, yeah, like around three to six months, night and day, all of a sudden I had a jawline, all of the fullness under my chin was gone. My nasolabial fold area was a lot lighter. What else did we do? I think we did up to my forehead. Everything was just lighter and tighter and it was amazing and it lasted. Now, when I went back like two years later to do my brow lift and blepharoplasty, we decided to do it again. Um, Trying to remember, I think we did just lower face. And that time I didn't really see that much of a difference. I definitely saw some tightening, but the first time was crazy. Yeah. I I mean, I do see really nice results from it. I just wonder how much damage it's actually causing. Ben's like, it doesn't have any damage at all. (laughs) I I use the chicken cutlet analogy often in my consultations. I'm like, if you take a raw chicken cutlet and you put it on a grill, you know, you grill it over and over again, it's going to get hard and it's going to shrink up. And that's kind of, you know, when I think about heating devices and going into certain depths, I feel like that is what it does, right? Mm -hmm. According to a lot of surgeons, especially with all therapy, which I am, I hate all therapy. (laughs) um, I don't even like the dermage, anything that's heating the tissue. You never want to denature tissues, right? Because you have to think for what's going to be good for now and what's also going to be good later, So, you know, good for now, but not for good is not the way you want to go. Things that are going to denature your tissue now and tighten up the tissue now because you want that instant gratification result, you know, later on is not going to serve you when you really are looking into doing serious facelifts and neck lifts and all of a sudden doctors are going in and there's like hardened, like hard blocks of rubber that they're trying to cut through. You know, and mm-hmm. you want this beautiful swooping silhouette result, and all of a sudden now there's like all inconsistencies because you have ruined and cooked the tissue and created so much scar tissue for yourself. So, you know, everyone's like, "Oh God, Melinda's such a hater. She's always, you know, poo-pooing on all of these different great, wonderful procedures." And I'm like, "No, no, I see. You know, some of these things are great, but I'm always concerned about what's going to happen later on. You know." good for now, but not for good is not okay with me. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, later on is when you're really going to be concerned about aging even more so. And later on, you don't want to have these types of complications. Going in to try to do a facelift when there's tons of scar tissue could create all sorts of complications postoperatively for yourself, like seromas, you know, or inconsistencies and lumpiness in the skin. People who go and they do tons of liposuction in the submentum under their neck, you know, because they have a double chin or whatever. When you strip so much fat from that area and later on have to do a platysmoplasty because the platysmal bands are now rearing their ugly heads, you know, it's going to be all lumpy under there because there's no fat to keep it nice and smooth. You've stripped that away. Same thing with buccal fat pad removal. So I always think about like, okay, what are the results going to be now? They might look good now, but how are these going to look later? And how is this going to play out for the, for my client later on? So I have the responsibility of thinking for you guys and thinking ahead for you guys. And, and you know, I think that's what makes me a well-received consultant because people are like, wow, I never even took that into consideration because I just wanted to look good now. I'm like, you know, you want to look good later too, you know? <laughs> Yeah. So to that point, let's talk about threads because this is something that's very, I don't, I don't know if it's popular. I think that the idea of it is really popular and then people go do it and realize that it doesn't do anything and only usually causes issues. Um, and that causes scar tissue, right? And all of that, but it's an instant gratification thing. So I had a lot of people ask me about it, even though I think I'm pretty vocal about 
not doing threads, but maybe they they just missed it. (laughs) What What are your thoughts on threads? So again, not a fan, not a fan of threads. It's like, you're putting a thread in, you're pulling and oh, boom, all of a sudden you're pulling everything up. And that's great because your skin is buoyant and, you know, young and youthful. So it reacts really nicely to a lot of these things. Then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're putting one, two, three, four, some people put like 50 threads in their face. So you're putting yeah, tiny so little like, crazy. threads, right? So there's these lines and they're all hyaluronic acid based threads. And they're kind of like a barbed wire that you're putting in your face. So wherever you're placing that thread in the tissue, like say if you're putting it through steak, right? And you're putting it in, you're you're putting all these little threads and you keep it there and you try to cut through the steak. What's going to happen? It's going to, when you try to cut through, it's like when you get that scar tissue in your steak and you're cutting through and there's that like tough spot and you're like, what is this, this piece of scar tissue that you're trying to cut through? That's exactly basically what threads are doing to the face. So you're leaving scar tissue and striations. And then as you lose collagen and skin laxity and your skin gets thinner as you get older, what's going to happen when the skin starts to sag and get lax? You're going to have like all lumpiness on the face because of that scar tissue that you put into place, you know, five years before or 10 years before. So you never want to, you never want to denature the tissue and do things to the tissue that, you know, later on when it ages, there's going to be like inconsistencies and lumpiness in the face. So I'm again, you have to think about how that's going to play out later on. Um, and they simply just don't last. You know, they just don't last. We have muscles in our face. We're constantly in animation. I mean, if we were walking around completely frozen face, not talking, not yawning, not sleeping, not washing our face, you know, not smiling, then I would say, sure, you know, go to, go and do a thread. Mm-hmm. It's going to last. But we're always in, in constant motion. Our faces are always in motion. So those threads, they, they don't last, especially those stupid fox eyes or whatever the hell they're doing right the now. The Spock eyes. Spock eyes. The Spock eyes are so disgusting. I hate them so much. It's, it's such a stupid concept. Oh my God. And then I don't know if it's Turkey. I think it's Turkey or maybe maybe Russia, but the surgeons yeah. are doing the fox eyes and then they're yeah. doing the teeny tiny little, like, I don't know what they call it. Um, like a fairy nose and like a baby. Uh-huh. It's just so yeah, turkey bizarre. Kill. Turkey kills me, kills me. I don't work with Turkish surgeons. There's actually one, Bulman Chihantimar. He's really good for, for, you know, and that's like the one name I'll drop. Um, He's great for for body contouring. I think he's a really talented surgeon. He's really big in the lecture circuit. I really love him. But um, other than him, I just, I can't with the Turkey guys. And, and, and the Russian surgeons, they just go over over the top. But you know, they've really got it down to a science on how to prey on a vulnerable patient because they know that there's a need that needs to be met. And these women will stop at nothing to achieve a certain aesthetic, you know, immediately because they want that instant gratification. So they do what the patient wants instead of doing what is right for the patient. And, you know, that's where I step in. And again, as a patient safety advocate, I have a big problem with that. Mm-hmm. You never want to compromise function for aesthetic. That's, I have a huge problem with that. Right. So what surgical procedures do you like? Now, obviously this is totally going to vary on somebody's age and their own aesthetic and all of that. But what do you think, like what procedures can make a big difference? I mean, I'm a huge, I'm a huge proponent of the facelift. I, I love facelifting. You know, on the right case, on the right patient with the right surgeon, um, it could really be a game changer. Really well done conservative liposuction and liposculpture can make a difference on a woman's body. You know, if you're working out and you have these stubborn areas, that is liposuction's great. You go in, you do good liposuction, but there's very, you know, it's rare to find excellent liposuction specialists. So you really have to find the guys who really you know, honed in on their craft and their specialty and do it really well, um, are ethical with their method and aren't, you know, taking any shortcuts or rushing through the process. And, and again, you know, this is a very artistic specialty, plastic surgery. You have to find the artist. You really, truly have to find the artist. When I vet my surgeons, one of the questions I ask them is like, what are your hobbies? What do you do on the side? And I always pay attention to the guys who paint or draw or sculpt um, or have some type of an artistic hobby because I'm like, okay, these are the guys I really want to keep a close eye on. This is where you're going to find some really special work. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, you know, 
surgical procedures, I'm all for surgery. So I'm for any surgical procedure that's done well with the right specialist. And rhinoplasty is like a super specialty. You know, the rhinoplasty has its own, rhinoplasty has its own society. So I always look at who's in the rhinoplasty society. I always look who, you know, the oculofacial plastic surgeons, they're the underdogs of the industry. And I place the most value on my oculofacial plastic surgeons because it is such a specific it's such a specific area of the face. It is such a delicate area to work on and do surgery on. The oculofacial plastic surgeons don't get enough credit. I mean, I am obsessed with my oculofacial plastic mm-hmm. surgeons. They are, for me, they're some of the most special surgeons that I work with and the biggest game changers because when you look at a person's face, the first place you're looking at is into the person's eyes. So you always see the first place of aging you see on a person is around their eyes. So they hold a huge responsibility in their hands to be able to bring that person's eyes back to its old youthful appearance once again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My brow lift was the best thing I ever did. Brow lifts are are game changers. Endoscopic lateral brow lift is a really hot topic right now. And a lot of women are, are choosing to do it. But again, you know, the face the face is all in one piece. So when mm-hmm. you address the face, you have it, it's all got to kind of fit together and it all has to flow. So I know you have done a, a few procedures on your face now. Did you do all of them with Ben? So I did my I did my nose and my lip lift with Ben. Well, everybody knows now that I did two lip lifts, which was very um, risky. <laughs> but yeah, so I did the first one with Ben. Um, I did those at the same time with the Profound. And then, and at that time, I was starting to feel like I I had a lot of hooding in my eyes. I naturally had hooded eyes. And for my whole life, it was like just kind of cute and unique. And then after I turned 30, it started to get really heavy. And like there was no, you know, Botox can only make a really minimal difference. People think that they'll get Botox and look like Bella Hadid. And right. that's not the case. <laughs> and um Ben was like, no, no, you know, wait a little bit longer. And so we actually waited like two or three years until he was finally like, okay, we're going to do like a really conservative lift, really conservative upper bluff. And again, night and day, night and day. Like I look at old videos and old pictures of myself and I just looked, I looked really tired, really sad. It was just, I had so much heaviness in the brow and in the eye area. And when I did the brow lift and the bluff with him, nobody knew that I did anything. They just said that I looked really like bright and alert. And that was exactly what we were going for. Right. Um, And then, so the lip lift thing, I had asked him for a couple of years. We went, we were so, so conservative with it. I had a really, really long philtrum and just a really thin upper lip. And I had tried for years and years to achieve a lift through filler. And obviously that just kind of weighed it down. And I got the Marge Simpson lip and it was not good. Um, so <laughs> yeah, we, no, filler is the worst in that era. Filler, filler altogether. I mean, I, I'm not a fan. Except in yeah. the, a little bit in the lip conservatively done, I'm okay with. Yeah. And I want to get to that too, but, um, it was just really bad. So I think we did like three millimeters. It was super, super minimal. And then I still wanted a little bit more. I wanted a little bit of tooth show. I felt like it was still kind of aging my face. Mm -hmm. And so I went to Dr. Mascaro and that was this past January. And I was really lucky. I got such a good result and I love it. I love the lip lift. I know that you don't love it. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So, you know, I was looking at, before we did this podcast, I'm like, let me go back because I knew this topic was going to come up. Um, <laughs> for me, it is a controversial one. I, I recommend it for older women because I think older women really lose a lot of laxity in their skin and their upper lip and the upper lip truly drops on a lot of older women. We're talking about 55 plus. Now, when it comes to younger women doing it is where I, I have the problem because I think it's overdone. I think it's unnecessary. So many times I see it and I think it's so unnecessary. And I've had this conversation with Ben over and over again. Um, oftentimes on a treatment plan, I will slash off the lip lift. It is like the first thing that usually goes because I'm just like, it is not necessary. You do not need this. You never want to intentionally put a scar on the middle third of the face and not you know, it's risky. Not everyone scars well. I have a young woman who is absolutely stunning and married to like a major power player. And she was like model gorgeous and decided to do a rhinoplasty and a lip lift at the same time, which is a major red flag. No, no. 
You never do those two at the same time for blood supply reasons. It could create major complications and necrosis of columella and necrosis of the tip of the nose. So you never want to do the two together. But I, she came to me after and she was just devastated. She's like, I feel like I look like a gargoyle. She's like, I, mm. I look so ugly. And the scar was so bad. Her body rejected the suture. She got an abscess. Uh, actually, I, I actually have her seeing Ben right now because we're trying to figure out how to fix her. And she's like, this was the dumbest decision I ever made in my life. And it is literally, it has ruined my face. And she's like, and I just, I made the decision so quickly. I didn't think about it. I didn't research it. And I wish I never did it. I mean, this is, you know, it's a comment I hear often with women who have had issues with it. And I see more issues with younger women because younger women overheal because they have so much collagen in their skin. Um, so they have a tendency to overheal and scar very poorly. So I don't like it on younger women. There's a lot of young girls who come to me that have perfectly fine looking philtrums. And like even myself, I mean, I I show all my lower teeth, which are crooked when I speak, <laughs> but I show barely any upper tooth. And, you know, I go to Mike Appa for for our cosmetic dentist. And Mike is a really good friend of mine. We grew up together. And he's like, you need to make your upper teeth longer. He's like, but never do a lip lift. Never, you know, like I won't. He's <laughs> very much against it as well. But I see a lot of these young girls unnecessarily, you know, doing lip lifts and then they didn't need it. And now they have this like weird scar on the middle third of their face. You know, the, the nose and the upper lip is like the centerpiece of the face. So you have to really be careful on that area, and especially with rhinoplasty. I'm just like, you know, we have to be so careful, so conservative, send it to the absolute like perfect surgeon. You know, there's no room for void with that part of the face. So the fact that this procedure, and like all respect to Ben and Mascaro, like respect to the both of them, Dr. Tale, Dr. Mascaro, I think that they're great for that procedure. But at the same time, my argument with Ben all the time is, is, you know, so many of these patients that you're doing, like didn't need it, Ben. And he's like, well, it made her look so much more beautiful. What are you talking about? I'm like, but she didn't need it, you know, <laughs> she didn't need it. So we go back and forth. I'm like, you know, I'm like the mother who says no, no, no. And the kids are like, oh my God, my annoying mom. I'm, I'm definitely that person when it comes to plastic surgery. I, you know, I never want to take away from, from a naturally beautiful face. I want to enhance naturally beautiful faces, but not everybody is of that philosophy. So I am not for everybody for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like it though. I like that you are, I mean, I think that we're moving into this era where everybody is starting to look like the next person, like there's this aesthetic, right? And everybody wants to have that same look and it's the brow lift and it's the pouty lip and the little nose and like the jawline. I mean, it's like this clone thing. Yeah. It's um, like the clone generation is what I call yeah. it. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I really love Ben because he really, and I know that there are other surgeons out there like this, but he really um, is all about preserving your natural beauty and looking like yourself, not looking like somebody else. Um, and I yeah. like that, that you're a proponent of that too. Yeah. And I, get, I get the lip lift thing. I mean, I think that, I mean, I've heard horror stories about lip lifts from other doctors, even like some of the really good doctors in LA and people who are known for the lip lift, again, I won't right. say names, um, with like nightmare scars, nightmare results, can't close their mouth, you know, these horrible things. So I can only imagine that you've seen the worst of the worst too. I have. And, you know, in different states, we work all over the world. LA is, <laughs> they're repeat offenders in, in the hyper aesthetic um, look. So a lot of my LA clients are really, really difficult clients to work with. I have to say they're very demanding. They want all of these unnecessary procedures. They do too much. And, you know, their mindset is more is more, more is more. And I'm very much of the mindset that less is more. You know, I am a New York businesswoman, you know, consultant in New York City, trained by New York surgeons, ultra conservative when it comes to, you know, aesthetic and aesthetic ideals. So I really like to balance features and I'm very careful about, you know, executing specific procedures on a face because I, I could envision what that result is going to be. And I never want my clients to look hyper aesthetic. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I say this a lot, but I mean, LA is like the bubble of all bubbles. And I find that when I'm here, I'm like nitpicking. Oh, I'm gonna, I want to do this. I want to do that. It is like very hyper aesthetic. And when I go to New York, that all goes out the window. I mean, each place I feel like has their own aesthetic to begin with. And New York is very much more natural. Um, and I would imagine other places around the world, everywhere has their own thing. LA is like, you're so spot on. More is more. Younger is better. <laughs> it's like, right. it's impossible. It's impossible to keep up, keep with, up with it. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's hard. Yeah. And um, women, are, women are petrified on the West Coast. They are petrified of aging. When I true. tell you, you know, I have women have anxiety attacks on the phone with me sometimes. And they're just like, I am just looking so old and I don't know what to do. And I've tried this, this, and that, and nothing's working. And I mean, they have panic attacks, literally talking about it. I'm like, okay, we need to sit and stop and take a deep breath and strategically plan, you know, our attack here. What are we going to do and what's going to make the most sense? So, you know, an exercise I have people do is to pick photos of themselves in five-year increments to really see how their face has changed over time, where they were, you know, when they were in their 20s and 25, 30, 35, 40, you know, leading up to whatever age they are now. Um, And to look at those areas that have changed, that's if they want to look like their younger selves. Some women come to me and they don't even want to look like their younger selves because they're like, I've always hated how I looked. So then Mm -hmm. we have to really sit down and plan like, okay, what is it that you don't like? Why don't Why don't you like it? And how are we going to change it? And you know, what's the right plan for you? And who's the right surgeon for you? Um, yeah, I mean, you really have to. You know, it, it's it's exploration and trying to understand your client. But right, less is more is is definitely more my my philosophy and doing it in a safe way that's going to sustain the health of the tissues um, and not compromise you you know, later on in life. So that that's definitely more my philosophy. Okay. Well, before we get to listener questions, we didn't talk about Botox and filler. We kind of touched on it a little bit, but I feel like that's kind of what everybody thinks they should be doing right now as far as anti-aging goes. And as far as like little lifts and all of that. Um, What are your thoughts on that? I know you're not a fan of filler. So um, yes and no. Yes and no. You know, it's it, it <laughs> it's such a controversial topic. Um, here's something that I will start this lead this conversation with. So I had a, a phone call, a two hour phone call with one of like the number one facial surgeons in the world the other night. He charges like three hundred and fifty thousand for a facelift. He's extremely popular. Um, he's an excellent surgeon and he's an artist and he has no social media presence. He doesn't even have a website. So he and I were on this call and. He was like, it's so refreshing to talk to a young woman who, you know, really doesn't put a lot of uh, power on this topic, like for fillers and Botox. He's like, because it's just so abused. He goes, and you know, when people talk to you, Melinda, you need to tell them filler doesn't add to a face. Filler takes away from a face. And when he said that, I was like, wow, that, you know, that's a really powerful statement that you just made because I absolutely agree with that. Filler does not add to your face. Filler takes away from your face. And how is it doing that? So when you're putting filler into your face, it is compressing fat and it's stretching skin. And you're also filling it with hyaluronic acid filler, which is extremely hydrophilic. So it acts like a sponge. It creates edemas. It stagnates the lymph in in the lymphatic system in your face. We have lymph running throughout our face. It stagnates the lymph. It creates swelling. Um, And it also masks your own features. So when you're aging and things are are falling, we're losing fat in our face a little bit, you know, incrementally, the skin starts to sag ever so slightly, the muscles are atrophying and we're losing bone. We get, get bone resorption. So what are people doing? They're filling. When really, every time I talk to them, they're like, I just want to do this. And they put, you know, a finger on the, the height of their cheek and a finger on, on the um, corner of their jawline and they pull it back. So they're lifting, you know, they're mm-hmm. pulling, they're lifting. So I'm like, okay, so you're putting filler in because you want to do that. So, you know, you're filling because you want to lift. So filler is fill, but as things are falling down and you're filling, you're just making the surface area larger. You're compressing the fat and you're also stretching the skin. So you're contributing to all the problems that, you know, you're trying to fix in the first place. You're actually contributing to it. 
thinking that it's it's better because it's a band-aid and it makes something look a little bit different. So you walk away feeling like you just, you know, you hit a home run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or you get a little like, swollen and then and you feel good about it. <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. And then, you know, we're finding now that fillers are are lasting in the tissues for many, many years through scans, through CAT scans and ultrasounds and MRIs. They're finding that the fillers are embedding themselves in the tissues. So they spread out, they embed themselves in the tissues, and then we stack because we think it went away. But meanwhile, it's now, you know, it just flattened out a little bit. So you go and you get more and you get more. And every six months or four to six months, you get more and more and more. So I call it stacking. Um, and then people come to me and they're just like, oh my God, I look like a monster. What, what's wrong with me? <laughs> and then I look at their health history and, and their, their history, their operative history. And we look at everything that they put in their face. And usually it's a lot of Voluma. Voluma is really, you know, the repeat offender when it comes to edema. And mm-hmm. issues. I have a lot of women who sadly put Artifil and Bellafil and, you know, silicone in their face because they're like, well, I just wanted to do it once and never have to worry about it again. And that stuff migrates and it creates all sorts of issues. Um, granulomas in the face that need to be cut out. It's a nightmare. So never, ever, ever put a permanent filler in your face. I don't care who says it. I don't care if it's a doctor. I know I'm a consultant. I'm not a surgeon, but the surgeons who are doing it should not be doing it. So shame on them. You know, I just don't, I think filler is a band-aid. Filler is a band-aid and you're trying, you know, filler is, is an excuse. It's, it's basically something that a doctor saying yes to, because yes is what you want to hear. Nobody wants to hear no. Nobody wants to hear the word surgery. No one wants to go under the knife and filler doesn't lift. Filler fills, facelifts lift. And I say it over and over and over again. I'm like, it's such a simple concept, you know, just like, if you have saggy boobs, you're just going to like put tons and tons of, of, you know, filler or fat in boobs because you're, you're looking to lift them and get a perky breast. No, you're going to do a breast lift. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that, I don't know, I've just seen so many people make big, big, huge mistakes with filler and filler face never looks good. You know, a swollen face just does not look good. Uh, I like a tight contoured. I like sharp contours. I like a tight face. I like healthy looking skin. And I don't like, you know, a swollen look. So it just doesn't, it's not in alignment with, with my aesthetic ideals. Mm -hmm. You said something recently. I can't remember where, maybe I've heard you say it a few times, but you said maybe you just have to wait. Sometimes you have to wait for things to get a little bit worse. Yes, before you can do something that. about them. And I feel like, okay, that's what I'm going to do now. <laughs> yeah. wait until, like, well, I'm still kind of in my early to almost mid thirties, but You're the next thing on my agenda will be a mini lift, but not for many, many years. But You're yeah. Fit, right. So the thing you have to worry about as being, you know, as healthy as you are and as fit as you are is losing more fat in your face because you'll see, you know, the premature sagging and plus you live on the beach. So I'm sure you're exposed to the sun often. So, also, you know, sun damage of the skin. So that's something you have to be concerned about, you know, later for later on. Um, yeah. For me, you know, in my early 40s, I'm like, okay, I'm starting to notice a little marionette line. I'm starting to notice a little bit more hollowing in my tear trough. And I haven't touched my face. Granted, every single day, surgeons are like, come in and I'll do this for you, Melinda. Come, <laughs> in, come and do it. And I, I'm like, no, I turn away everything. It's free. And I turn it all away because I'm just like, no, I want to see my face age a little bit because then I'm going to go and do a mini lift and then call it a day for another 12 years and, and not have to do anything, you know? I would look like the cat lady if I was in your position because oh, I would say yes to everybody. Most, most people would. You know, girls call me all the time. They want to work with us. And Brittany also <laughs> is extremely conservative. So she's just like, she tries like a little vitamin C serum and it makes her day. But we both <laughs> get offers all the time. Come in. We want to offer you this or we want to do this. And I'm like, no, I don't want to use any of these devices. I don't want to laser the hell out of my face. I don't want to, you know, put all therapy on my face. I don't want this liposuction procedure because you saw my double chin on my, you know, Instagram video. <laughs> I ate a lot of pasta over quarantine. So yes, I have a double chin right now. <laughs> oh, didn't we all? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of these things are, are of course, offered to us, but um, I rarely ever say yes to anything. And I want my face to age a little bit. I, I think that, 
you know, everyone's constantly seeking for, you know, what about now? What could I do in the meantime? And and that is something that people ask me on a daily basis. And I'm just like, sometimes there is just nothing to do right now. You just unfortunately, you know, have to wait. And that is something that a lot of surgeons have a hard time telling patients because they don't want that patient. They know that patient's going to walk out of their office go across the hall, walk into another office and have a procedure done. And they don't want to, you know, lose out on that, on that Mm -hmm. financial gain. Right. Yeah. But you'll get a better result if you wait too. You will get a better result if you wait. And, you know, it's hard for a lot of women to do. Women, you know, in general, just do not, they have a hard time watching their faces age. They, they do not want to see the aging at all. There always has to be that answer. They never want to take no for an answer. And I turn away patients all the time. People write to us and they send their photos or they'll send an initial email. And I'm like, nope, this is not a good client for me. It's someone who's asking about a lot of non-invasive fillers. You know, facelifts aren't an option. Surgery isn't an option, Melinda. Like, you know, but, and I look at their photos. I'm like, oh, there is like, I'm not, there's nothing I could do for this person because, you know, Mm -hmm. let someone else give them bad advice. That's not going to be me. You know, I have, um, I have some type of a moral compass that Mm -hmm. I I try to stick to. And I, uh, I don't want to lead anybody in the wrong direction. It is my reputation behind where I send that person. You know, it is my reputation behind who's doing that work. It is my reputation behind what their result is going to be. I feel responsible for my clients. So I want to make sure that they're always in the best, most capable hands. hope you enjoyed that episode. If you liked it, and if you like the show in general, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It goes a long way, and it's actually the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more about each episode, you can head over to the Blonde Files podcast on Instagram. I'm always posting about each episode there or over on my personal page at Ariel Laurie.